What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm Shelly Metling, and I've been sharing my infertility journey openly on YouTube for about a year now. With four losses ourselves and one rainbow baby on the way, I wanted a platform for you babes to share your stories. So girl, sit back, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry, because we are about to get real on the ins and outs of pregnancy loss in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Paige Bennett on the episode today. Her and I are Instagram friends, and I'm so excited to hear a little bit more about her and her story. So Paige, I'm just going to throw it at you. Start wherever you'd like. Great. Thank you for having me. So my story really begins with my first pregnancy, which was pretty uneventful, pretty healthy. My my husband and I, like most people in San Francisco, were married pretty late in life. We were married at 31. And at 32, we decided that we wanted to start a family. And I think I assumed, like so many people my age, that it was going to take time. And so when we were able to get pregnant pretty quickly, I was really surprised. And what I found happened is that because we were able to get pregnant pretty quickly, I spent my entire first pregnancy sort of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so as I progressed throughout my pregnancy, instead of becoming more confident and um, excited, I became more fearful. And I noticed that as I got into my third trimester, I became terrified. And so um, I was going to weekly stress testing, even though I was completely healthy. And I went into the hospital probably five or six times out of fear that I couldn't feel my baby move. I was just completely anxious. Um, It got to be, you know, two weeks before my due date and I hadn't unpacked any of the clothing. I hadn't unpacked any shower gifts. I was just absolutely terrified, sort of holding my breath. And when my son Finley was born and he cried for the first time, it was just this instant relief of like, oh, I can breathe now. Um, And it was so strange because I remember thinking through my first pregnancy that I am treating this pregnancy like I have had a loss before. And I had not at that point. Um, And so uh, about a year and a half later, we decided to try again. So last fall, we uh, tried again and got pregnant pretty quickly as well. And my first thought was that, unlike my first pregnancy, I was going to live this one like to the fullest. I was like, you know, I'm not going to be terrified this time. I'm going to enjoy everything. I'm going to buy the baby clothes and uh, and and enjoy the shower gifts and not feel like I have to walk through this pregnancy with holding my breath. And so my first trimester was pretty uneventful. Um, I did have moments of anxiety where you're kind of like comparing the pregnancies. I noticed that uh, there were a few different things between this pregnancy and my first, but I also know that every pregnancy is different. So every time I would have this anxious thought, I would try to remind myself that it's probably fine. Um, And it got to be our 12-week ultrasound. And um, it was the, the Friday before Christmas. My parents were in town. Um, At that point, everything was so routine that uh, I decided to go into the ultrasound by myself. Um, 
we had decided to tell our parents over Christmas. And so at that point, no one knew. My husband and I live pretty far from family, so they hadn't seen us in person. And um, I, at that point, could still conceal my pregnancy. So my parents, even though they were in town, couldn't tell that I was pregnant yet. Um, and and we were busy entertaining them. So I just decided I'll go do this ultrasound by myself. We told my parents I was running the errands. Um, and we went, um, and this was the ultrasound that measures fluid and looks at the anatomy. And, um, I met with the genetics counselor beforehand and I, she went through the same spiel that she went through with my first pregnancy. And I was very much like, okay, I know this, we're fine. You know, I know I'm geriatric technically, <laughs> I'm almost 35, I've got it, it's fine, um, and then we went into the ultrasound room and, you know, your first thought when you look at that ultrasound is to, it's like, where's the heartbeat? Um, is there a heartbeat? And, and I saw a heartbeat and the baby was moving. And so I wasn't even thinking about the fluid levels or anything else that might be wrong. I was just concerned and relieved that there was a heartbeat. Um, the technician was pretty silent but um, I didn't necessarily take that as a sign. Um, he left the room and he said that the doctor would be in. And then the strangest thing happened. The minute he left the room, I was overcome with like, sobbing. I started sobbing. And it was like there was something, in, it was like there was an instinct inside of me that knew something was wrong. Um, even though there was nothing to, to my eyes, there was nothing on the ultrasound that indicated anything was wrong. I was just overcome with this sudden wave of sadness. And the doctor walked in and I'm sure her thought was like, oh, this, this mother knows something's wrong. That's why she's crying. Uh, and she sat down and she said, there's more fluid than we would like in this baby. Um, and, uh, the fluid was measuring about 4.1 when I think normal fluid levels are like, gosh, under, under one. Um, and so she said, there are a few choices you can do. She said, you can do something called, um, you, they can we can take a piece of your placenta and we can test it and we can know with 99% accuracy, whether or not there's a genetic condition that's causing this fluid, or we can continue to run the blood work that you're already scheduled for. And that will give us some amount of accuracy, but not 99%. Or you can choose to do none of that. Um, and, and I always want to know more. Yeah. And so I said, sign me up. Let's take the piece of the placenta. Um, it was in, it was in the afternoon on a Friday. And so they said, you know, there's a chance we can't get you in. And with the holidays coming up, if we can't get you in for this procedure, it's going to be after Christmas. And I just thought, oh, that sounds awful for it to wait even longer, but they were able to get me in. They, um, after the procedure was over, they said, you know, the FedEx guy's coming in right now. We're, we're giving him the, the sample. I'm like, oh, it's going through FedEx. All right. Um, <laughs> great. And so they sent the sample off. Um, and I was told that I would know probably the day after Christmas. And so that night, my mom and I were planning to go see Mary Poppins. And um, I came home after this appointment that was supposed to take an hour and I had been gone for already three and a half um, with, I must've had this incredibly 
distraught look on my face because my parents knew immediately that something was wrong. And I had to kind of say, you know, nothing. I'm just really tired. Um, Traffic was bad. It's fine. Um, I had called my husband while I was at the appointment and the genetics counselor had talked to both of us. So he knew what was going on. Um, But he is an internal optimist. So my mind always went to the worst case scenario and his mind, mind always went to the best case scenario. So in his mind, it's fine. Like that the genetics um, counselor had told us there was, you know, a good, a good chance that this was nothing and the fluid would relieve itself. Um, and he was, you know, taking that to heart and I was taking to heart the, the 1% chance that something could be wrong. Um, and so we went into Christmas with a very weird feeling. Um, it was certainly not the excitement that I expected. We decided not to tell people because we weren't sure what was going to happen. So we didn't reveal our pregnancy on Christmas day. And then the day after Christmas, the genetics counselor called and she said, it's a down syndrome. And my first thought was relief because I knew that it could be um, a chromosome issue that was certainly fatal and down syndrome isn't. And so I thought, okay, we can work with this. Like there are, are so many children with down syndrome who have fulfilling lives. And I know adults with down syndrome that have fulfilling lives and we have the resources. And so I'm immediately going into planning mode. Like mm-hmm. we've got this, we can do this. Um, and she said, but our, our, our main concern isn't with the down syndrome. It's with the fluid levels because that can indicate that there's a heart problem. And the higher the fluid levels, the more chance you are at losing the baby. And, uh, and, and she said, you know, your doctor's going to be in touch. You're going to um, be doing some extra ultrasounds and we're going to be figuring out like what the, what the plan is. And so it was this weird mixture of relief that, okay, we can deal with Down syndrome and, and fear that, there's a chance we were not going to even make it to birthing this baby. Um, I, I immediately reached out to like the Down Syndrome Society of San Francisco. Um, I went into complete like plan of attack by trying to find like all the mothers that are moms of children with Down Syndrome. I, I started like reading every blog post I could get my hands on, on, um, you know, on, uh, children having like very full fulfilling lives. Um, I disregarded the fluid. I tried not to think about that. Yeah. Um, and we went into New Year's Eve just holding this secret. Um, we hadn't told anyone really. Um, I was still able to be somewhat excited about the pregnancy. I was certainly grieving the diagnosis, but I was so afraid that it was going to be a fatal diagnosis that because it wasn't, there was still some measure I was able to have of excitement mm-hmm. of like, okay, I'm, I, this isn't the end. Um, after uh, New Year's Eve, we went, uh, we were scheduled for another ultrasound. And I think like any parent, I had prayed for a miracle. I had prayed that we would go in and find that the fluid had completely gone. Um, and we went in and, um, found out that the fluid had increased and um, the doctor, (laughs) doctors like 
the, the things that doctors say, some of the phrases just stick with you. And I don't think you'll ever they, forget. They um, really do. <laughs> um, I said, uh, I said, is my baby dying? And the doctor said, nature is taking care of it. Oh, <laughs> and I, I thought, okay, that's really an awful phrase. Don't ever say this to you again. <laughs> Don't tell me nature's taking care of it. Um, I said, uh, I know you can't really tell me how the baby feels, but can, can, is there any way we can tell if the baby's in pain? And she said, you know, when babies are born, we look at their vitals to know whether or not they're in distress. And, and one thing we measure is their heart rate. And she said, um, the baby's heart rate is very high. And um, the baby is really struggling to breathe. Oh, and my um, gosh. I think you always think you'll know what you, you'll do in those situations. And then when it happens, mm-hmm. it just completely changes your perspective. And I, I think being told that your baby is possible, is your baby is struggling, your baby is dying. Your first inclination is to protect that baby and mother. My first, I mean, your mother. Yeah. Yeah. And I immediately wanted to help this baby to not suffer. Um, and we were suddenly faced with some very hard decisions. They told us, you know, we don't know how long it's going to take for the baby to pass away, but we know the baby will pass away. We don't believe that baby will live for many more weeks, but um, we can't be certain. Um, You know, my husband and I sat down and we talked about it and we thought, you know, just realistically, like having this baby pass away at, at 39 weeks is going to be horrible. Um, having this baby pass away now is going to be horrible. Um, living with the knowledge that we don't know when this baby is going to pass away is horrible. Um, Mm -hmm. and we don't want this baby to suffer. And I I just had no idea what, what we could do. Um, I was, I really had to lean on my faith. Um, I had emailed our family pastor and, and had, he had come in and talked to us. And I said, you know, I have no idea. I just, I know that I am this child's mother and I want to protect this child. Um, what do I do? Um, we went in for an ultrasound uh, or for the heart um, because they did want to know, you know, what's going on with the heart. And, and with each ultrasound, we were getting a little bit more information and it was helping us know what possible decision we might have to make. Um, and so uh, when we went in for the ultrasound uh, for the heart, the, the doctor said, you know, the heart is, um, is underdeveloped. Um, it was missing a valve. They said in a normal pregnancy, when a baby is healthy and whole, the plan would be to, uh, that when the baby is born, they would have to almost immediately go into open heart surgery. And, um, and then we would, um, eventually look for a heart. Um, they would eventually be put on a heart transplant list because this baby is so sick. Surgery would not be an option. So if we did make it to term, they were not going to operate and the baby can't live without a valve. And so, this was the second appointment where we were told the baby 
is not going to live. Was this it's something just a matter of time? Is this something that's linked to certain cases of Down syndrome, or is this two very separate things? Yeah, so it's it's related. A lot of children, a lot of babies with Down syndrome have heart conditions. Um, and that causes the fluid buildup. So um, the fluid uh, itself is something called hydrops. And, um, and it was all related. So okay. he could have been a yeah, he could have been a baby with Down syndrome with no heart problems or very mild heart problems. But in this case, it was very severe. Okay. Um, and so um, I, I think the one of the when we when you look at like okay what what are the positives in this situation um one of the things that we've been able to take some comfort in is that all of this was related back to down syndrome and we're not uh you know it it was just and this sounds so flippant to say but it was just a fluke it was just bad luck in that he was um he was given a severe, like he had a severe heart condition. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing in my husband, my husband and I are not carriers for anything um, that is particularly fatal. It just happened. Down syndrome is actually the most common chromosome um, abnormality. abnormality. Yeah. And, and, you know, I kept clinging to the fact that so many babies are born, uh, you know, born alive and whole and with down syndrome. And that just, wasn't going to be our story. Um, so uh, at this time, it was mid-January, and I was still at work. Um, and I must have had this look on my face at work because I, I felt so sad um, to, to carry a pregnancy that you know is not going to live and you don't know when the baby's going to pass. Um, it's like carrying this, like, like this death sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm sure the look on my face must have just been one of just utter sadness because people, uh, reacted to me very differently. Um, no one knew I was pregnant yet. I could have definitely been showing, but after getting the diagnosis, I tried to cover up as much as I could. And so I was wearing really baggy clothes and just really trying to hide it. But I was also, I'm sure, looking very sad. Um, I had told my boss just to give her a heads up, um, but uh, no one else knew. And and I, I would say that um, one of my pieces of advice now for parents that are carrying a terminally ill baby is to try and find some measure of acknowledgement each day that at least for this moment, you are still pregnant, you still have a life in you, because that's something I did not do. The minute the diagnosis was fatal, I lost all acknowledgement that like I had a life in me. Um, I, um, I also started praying that the baby would just pass away, mm-hmm. um, which sounded like a crazy prayer. For, you know, to go from being pregnant with my first baby and praying every day for that baby to, like, you know, live, to praying that this baby would just pass away was so strange. But I just wanted the baby not to suffer. Um, I didn't want to have to make a decision to not continue. And so I just wanted, I just wanted the baby to, yeah to just not have to suffer anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, On January 25th, 
we went in for another ultrasound. Um, and it was our, it was our second, um, uh, option, uh, our, our second opinion ultrasound at a different hospital, um, because we did want to make sure that as fatal of a diagnosis this was, we were, we, we weren't missing any procedure that could possibly help him. And so, um, we went to this other hospital, um, we were, you know, we were, we went in in the morning, we were planning on going straight from the hospital to our offices, um, we had to wait for a really long time because they were super backed up <laughs> um, in the ultrasound office. Um, and my husband and I kept having to cancel meetings at work as we waited longer and longer. Um, we finally get into the ultrasound room and my husband is a little bit um, uh, anxious because he's had to cancel all of these meetings. And, and he's an engineer, um, a German engineer, um, which means he's like the most logical person on earth. Yeah, my husband's um, an engineer as well. I get it. <laughs> oh my goodness. And so he was like, what's the procedure? Why was it taking so long? And I'm thinking, let's just get this over with. Um, we, we laid down and, and the monitor that's in front of you for you to see was actually not working that day. Um, and so I couldn't see anything. Um, and the, and the um, technician started the ultrasound and she, and she started asking me questions. Um, she said, uh, uh, when was the last ultrasound you had? And I said, oh, it was, you know, two, 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 a week and a half ago. And she said, um, did, did they talk to you about the heart condition? And I'm thinking she doesn't know the story. I'm thinking, oh, this poor technician thinks we're in here doing our like normal, <laughs> like, uh, you know, normal anatomy scan. She has no idea that we know this baby severely ill. She thinks she's going to have to be the one to break the news. And so I started telling her, you know, it's fine. We know that the baby's very sick. We know the baby has a lot of fluid. We're here for a second opinion. And then I stopped um, in the middle of explaining that to her. And I said, is there no heartbeat? It's like all of a sudden I just knew. And um, she said, I'm so sorry. And um, it was such a strange moment because I thought I would be relieved. I thought there would be like some measure of relief that my husband and I didn't have to make a choice to not continue, that the baby was not suffering anymore, but there wasn't relief. It was just a deep, deep sadness. Um, they brought us into a side room so we could compose ourselves before walking out through the waiting room of all the pregnant people. Um, I went home and called the doctor. Um, and at that point, our option was really, as far along as I was, our option was really to deliver. And so um, we went in uh, that afternoon to take the pill to start um, softening my cervix. And we're planning, in going, uh, planning to go in the next day for delivery. Um, I think the amazing thing through this story was um, how, even though we hadn't told people, our community, uh, when we did when we, when we did lose the baby, our community really rose up. Um, you know, we live super far away from both of our families, and so I had texted a friend of mine who has a toddler the same age as my son, and she immediately said, "You know, how can we help? We'll watch him." Um, I, we immediately had people, you know, bringing us food and. Um, taking our son um, to a play dates. Um, my brother had recently moved to the AR area and he came over and spent the night with our toddler. Um, so just all of these things that we were like, 
we just got to see the community at work, which was just a really big blessing. Um, we went in on a Saturday night at 8 p.m. to the hospital. And um, they put us in a room at the end. And I've, I've watched a few shows and, and movies about um, delivering stillborns. And um, it, I, I, I thought, oh, they, it's like in the movie. They put the purple butterfly on the door. Um, so everyone would know that something very sad was going on in the room. Um, you had a guest on a few weeks ago that talked about delivering her baby and she talked about like the thing that really triggered her. And I really connected with that because it was similar to us. I had sort of kept my composure the entire time, but when I got into the hospital room and I saw the cart that the baby would go in and how they had just like piled supplies on top of it and it, the light wasn't on it was obvious that that cart was not going to be used. Um, that's when it hit me that I was going to give birth to a baby and the baby was not going to be alive. Um, and they gave me um, medicine to start contractions. They told me, you know, you can have whatever pain medicine you want, <laughs> you know, just, just name it. We'll give it to you. Um, <laughs> with my, with my, with my son, um, I didn't have any pain medicine and my labor was really quick. Like we barely made it to the hospital. Um, and so I, um, the one thing I did learn is that with the next baby, I definitely want the pain medicine. <laughs> um, they, uh, my contraction started. Um, I had some pain medicine. Um, my husband and I were trying to sleep a little bit because by that time it was pretty late. Um, and I remember being very nervous because I would get up to go to the bathroom and I was really nervous about delivering the baby alone or in the bathroom. I didn't want that. I didn't want that to happen. Um, I had told the the midwife that I, I didn't want to see the baby at first. I wanted her to clean and wrap up the baby. And then I wanted to see the baby. And I was 17 weeks by this time. Um, and um, I, uh, at about 3 a.m., um, I felt the baby come. And it's a very weird feeling because you're not really pushing. The baby's too small. Um, so it's completely involuntary. Um, and and I called for the nurses, and they came in, and they said, yeah, the baby has come. Um, and they cleaned the baby, and they wrapped the baby up. I had brought a little tiny blanket with me. It was the smallest blanket I could find. Um, I wrapped it up in the blanket um, and they were really sweet with me. They had a, a hat and they had put the hat on the baby. Um, I was really nervous about seeing the baby and I had actually asked the doctor before I said, does anybody ever regret seeing the baby? And she said in all of her years of working, nobody that asked to see the baby ever regretted seeing the baby. Um, and it's true. I mean, even though the baby was obviously ill, I don't regret seeing my baby at all. Um, he, he was a boy. We, we had not found out the gender yet. Um, and we found out that he was a boy. Um, it's amazing because we counted like 10 perfect fingers and toes. They were just perfect. Um, and I just... 
I just felt so sorry that he was not alive and apologetic. Like I was apologizing to him. Um, I held him for a while and um, I kept thinking, you know, I'm not going to get to hold this baby again. I have to hold him now. Um, and eventually the midwives came in. They were really great about not pushing us. It was completely up to us when we wanted to hand him back. Um, and in the morning around 11, I guess it was, we decided to say bye. Um, they took a picture of, of us together. They had taken pictures of him and they had given us a memory box. They had, I wanted his, his footprint and they had gotten his footprint. Um, and that was the hardest moment. That was the hardest moment was to hand him back because I knew that I was never going to see him again. And that was it. And um, I just thought, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I could not keep you alive. Um, and we kissed him and we handed him over. And then we took the saddest car ride back to the house. I told my husband, we had, you know, we live in a city, so we had ordered a lift. And I said, this must be the saddest lift ride this driver has ever had. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then the hard part began. You know, you think it's the hard uh -huh. part while you're going through it, but it's really the, the grief afterwards. Um, you know, my body went through the same postpartum experience that I had had with my son. So my milk came in. Um, I was bleeding just like I did with my first baby. Um, a, a precious friend had brought me pads, which I didn't even think about. Um, she brought me in a postpartum basket of, of goods. And, and I was like, oh, thank God. I had not even thought about the fact that I'll need pads. Um, we, uh, we had to go to the funeral home um, the day after to talk about what we wanted to do with the baby. We decided we wanted him to be cremated. Um, and, and you have to go to the funeral home in person. And they say over the phone that it's okay if the mother doesn't come. But I felt this weird like sense of uh, obligation, like I needed to go to honor him. And so... Um, when we were doing that, I told my husband, I turned to him and I said, I don't want to ever do this again. Um, oh, did it just disconnect? I, um, I'm here, actually. Okay. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what just happened, but keep going. That was so strange. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know, it's one of that. That was one of those experiences that I don't want to ever have to go through again. Um, I don't want to ever have to go to the funeral home for my child. Um, and, uh, and, and then the other thing you never think about is like trying to find an urn. Every, everything we would look at was like this awful, like very uh, elaborate urn that wasn't our style at all. And we ended up finding this potter out of Portland who made these beautiful urns that look like pieces of pottery my husband and I already have. Um, and we had named our son Hoff, which was just German for hope since my husband is German. Um, and we had a Bible verse on the back of it um, that says, I, I will always have hope because I, I knew in that moment when we lost him that I was not going to let this take my hope away, that there, like God always redeems these moments. And I was going to choose to have hope that there was, there's going to be life after this. 
Um, and we brought him home. Um, you know, when you're going through these experiences, there are always like a million things that are kind of funny in a very dark comedy type of way. And um, a week after we had had Hoff, we decided that it was a good idea for us to go to this wedding that we had already planned on going to. And in retrospect, it was actually a good idea because the experience was incredibly uh, healing in a lot of ways. But um, at the wedding, there was this very lovely lady who did not know, um, who knew we were pregnant, but did not know we had lost the baby. <laughs> and um, she came up to my husband and I and uh, started ta- you know, talking about how excited she was. And, um, you know, um, she's so thrilled for us. And when is the baby due? And my husband and I are thinking, well, we can't tell her what just happened in the middle of this party. So we were just like, yeah, it's fine. Um, And then later on in the night, I was at the bar and I got a glass of champagne and I turn around and I chug it and I make eye contact with her and she has this (gasps) horrified look on her face. (laughs) And so the rest of the night, I just noticed she's looking at me like, is this what they do in California? (laughs) And so my husband and I just had to laugh about it. We're like, what else are we going to do? We're just going to laugh about this. And then she found out and felt awful. But, um, (laughs) you know, just those like moments where you're like, you're going to have to laugh about this or you're going to cry. And, and that was, uh, you know, that, that was January. And so um, since then um, we're learning what life is like on the other side, what, what it's like to go through this grief. Um, and we're now getting ready, you know, we're, we're trying again for the next baby and, and we're going to learn what pregnancy is like after loss mm-hmm. um, and the difficulty that is going to be, how on earth do you not feel terrified every day of your yeah. last pregnancy? Um, and, and more than that, we're just trying to like um, share our story. Um, when I was diagnosed with um with Hoff's condition, I was looking for any story of women that had carried terminally ill babies. Um, and, and then when I lost him, I was looking for any story about late term miscarriage. And, um, and I found your podcast and um, it was just such a, such a healing uh, find to hear other women and just be able to relate to them. Um mm-hmm my own community has kind of come out of the woodwork with, you know, people sharing their stories with me, people that I never knew lost babies who, you know, shared that they had one, two miscarriages. Um, And I've been able to really deeply connect with some friends that have also gone through loss, but um, we don't talk about it. And, um, and, and I just felt a very big uh, pull too. Um, When I went back to work, um, I sat down with a couple of people on my team and I said, you know, I know it was obvious that I was pregnant and now it's not. And I wanted to tell you that it's because I lost my baby. Um, and I just have felt the need to tell people that it's okay. And talking about it, like asking me about it, isn't going to make me more sad. Yeah. Like just ask me. Um, it's better to, I feel like it's better to ask and acknowledge than it is to kind of like ignore the situation or just like, or be awkward about it. You know what I mean? And it's like, I would rather just talk about it. So there isn't that awkwardness. Like, let's just, 
get it out there. What do you, what, what do you need there. to know? Yeah, exactly. I'm never not thinking about it. So yes. you're never going to, you asking me about it, isn't going to be like, I'm going to suddenly it's not think, gonna oh, bring wow, it up. Yeah. About it. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's always there. Um, and it's been amazing the people that have been like that. And it's also been illuminating the people that haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear this all the time from people, you know, when you go through loss, you find out, you know, who acts in what way. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're just learning to, you know, live through loss. And we're also learning, like, um, what is it like when you're the one in 10,000? Um, yeah, when you're the one in four and when you're the one in 10,000. Like, you know, what's, what's normal. My doctor told me this earlier this week. She said, just because you were the one in 10,000 that time doesn't mean you're the one in 10,000. And I've just tried to really cling to that with thinking about my next baby. Um, And I'm also trying to remember, you know, somebody else said that, you know, you only see people's blessings. Um, I I try to remember that too, as I pass the pregnant women on the street and it hurts, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we're, we're almost to my son's due date and seeing very pregnant women walk down the street is painful. Um, and I try to remember that, like, I'm only seeing their blessing. I'm not seeing what they've gone through to get there. And they might have lost children before this. Um, that is an amazing that. tip. Like, that, that's a huge little nugget because that's something that I wish I would have. Um, and still sometimes yeah, think about. It, it helps. It helps with the bitterness. Yeah. Because if I didn't, I would feel bitter. Yeah. Um, and so so we're just learning to get through life now and meeting this community of other really strong women mm-hmm. and and finding comfort in the shared experiences. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. So um, I have I actually have some people to connect you with. Because I've actually heard a few other stories that are somewhat similar recently. Um, And so I think that it's your story is very unique. And I think, you know, you find comfort in hearing, you know, the life after miscarriage episodes. Um, But for you to share your story and how unique it is, someone else out there is going to be able to relate to it. And they probably weren't able to find anything like it on the internet and you just gave that to them so that's so awesome and I just want to thank you so much for that you're so welcome and I hope so and if anybody ever needs to reach out yeah we're here yeah and are you cool if I is Instagram the best way to do so oh sure absolutely okay so I'll link your Instagram in the description of this podcast um for anybody who wants to reach out and um yeah I definitely encourage, I encourage everybody to do so if they feel the urge. So thank you so much, Paige. You're so welcome. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.